0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 14. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 14. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of David and as we're watching the life of David we've already explained and explored him before he was uh, called to be king he was a shepherd boy and that God had raised him up and that he did nothing he didn't lift a single finger to become king it was God that placed him in that position once he was king he started off good and asking for God's favor and asking for God's direction and doing things to try to please the Lord but somewhere in the midst of this that David failed He started off by committing a sin with Bathsheba. And this horrible sin, this one night in sin, and that's all it was intended to be was one night, ended up having consequences. And we could see that there was a baby now involved. Bathsheba had sent to David and said, there is a baby about to be born. There is a baby due to this. And so David did his best to try to cover things up. He sent Uriah and sent him back. And tried to get him to go back to his home. And tried to dilute and tried to to fool everyone. But Uriah was faithful and refused to go back. Which led to the death of Uriah. That Uriah the Hittite, one of David's most trusted faithful men, was killed by his leader. Because David was trying to cover up sin. David lived with this sin for nine months. When the child was finally born... Nathan the prophet was sent by God to stick his bony finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. When David was confronted of his sin, we could see that one thing about David is he was a good repenter. That whenever something was pointed out in his life, he tried to get right with God. And that led to the writing of Psalm 51, which was David's prayer of getting right with God. Unfortunately, just because you're forgiven with God doesn't mean that the consequences here on this earth go away. In fact, David when he was presented with this, he himself pronounced a fourfold judgment. And that fourfold judgment is now revealing itself as we go through the book of 2nd Samuel. What we see through the book of 2nd Samuel, if you were to sum it up in one word, it's consequences. 2nd Samuel lists the consequences of actions. And we must understand that all of our actions, whether they're good or they're bad, all have consequences. And if David would have understood that that one night in sin would have led to so many consequences, he would have stayed far away from that sin. Unfortunately, when sin gets involved, we could all agree with this, sin makes things complicated. Whenever sin is interjected into an issue, whether it's a family issue, whether it's a kingdom issue, whether it's a government issue, whether it's a legal matter, whenever sin enters in, it cloudies everything. And it makes things complicated. The good thing about the Lord is that God says to do everything with simplicity and godly sincerity. God likes to make things as simple as possible. It is us That makes things complicated. And so thus we find ourselves to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 14. And we're seeing the complicated issues. What is going on? Well, what has previously gone on is that Amnon, David's son, had (coughs) raped his sister Tamar who was David's daughter. It was Amnon's half-sister. Because of this result, everyone expected David to punish Amnon. But David did nothing to Amnon. He punished Amnon not. After three years of waiting, two years of waiting, Absalom had enough and he came up with a plan and he killed his own brother. Because he had committed murder and the law was very clear that it doesn't matter who you are. If you killed someone, premeditated, and that's exactly what it was in front of witnesses, Absalom was by law to be put to death. So Absalom had fled. And if you don't mind, we're going to pick up that story right now in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 14. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 14, and notice with me in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 14 in verse 1, the Bible says this, Now Joab the son of Zariah perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. And Joab sent to Teka and fetch thence a wise woman, and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner, and put on now mourning apparel, and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead. And come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Telica spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, and did obeisance, and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaiden had two sons, and they strove together in the field, and there was none to part them. But one smote the other, and slew him. And behold, the whole family is risen against thy handmaiden. And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him." For the life of his brother whom he slew, we will also destroy the heir also, and they shall quench my coal which is left, and shall not leave my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. And the king said unto the woman, Go to thy house, and I will give thee charge concerning thee. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king! The iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and the throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whosoever saith ought unto thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Then she said, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wilt not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall be not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. Then the woman said, let thine head made I nice pray thee, speak one more word unto the Lord the king. And he said on, and the woman said, wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one that is faulty, and that the king does not fetch home again his banished. For we must needs die as are water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any persons, yet he doth devise means that is banished, be not expelled from him. Now therefore that I am come to thee of this thing unto the Lord the King, it is because the people have made me afraid. And thy handmaiden said, I will now speak unto the king, that the king will perform the request of his handmaiden. For the king will hear to deliver his handmaiden out of the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God. Then thine handmaiden said, The word of my lord the king shall now be comfortable. For as the angel of God, so is the lord the king to discern good and bad. Therefore the lord thy God be with thee. Then the king answered and said to the woman, "Hide not from me, I, or hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing which I shall ask thee." And the woman said, "Let the Lord, the king, now speak." And the king said, "Is this not the hand of Joab with thee and all this?" And the woman answered and said, "As thy soul liveth, my Lord the king, none can turn to the right hand, nor to the left from aught the Lord <laughs> the king has spoken." For thy servant Joab, he bid me, and put these words in the mouth of thy handmaiden, to fetch about this form of speech, that hath thy servant Joab done this thing. And my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all the things that are in the earth. And the king said to Joab, Behold now, I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again.' And Joab fell to his face on the ground and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshar and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, and sawed out the king's face. But in all Israel there was none to be praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, for it was every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it and weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar, she was a woman of fair countenance. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab and have sent to him... To the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore he said to his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine. He hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said to him, Wherefore has thy servant set my field on fire? And Absalom said to Joab, Behold, I have sent to thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send to the king king to say wherefore i am come to gesher it had been good for me to have still been there still now therefore let me see the king's face and if there be any iniquity in me let him kill me so joab came to the king and told him and when he had called for absalom he came to the king bowed himself on the face to the ground before the king and the king kissed absalom and if you're in the habit of marking things in your bible would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 14. 2 Samuel chapter 14 and notice with me in verse number 24, notice a phrase, so Absalom returned to his own house. So Absalom returned to his own house. And with the Lord's help we want to hit this event that occurs here and the consequences of this event. So Absalom returned to his own house. So Absalom returned to his own house. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you once again, we're just asking that you would let the Bible be clear. Open it up in a special way. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate these things for us, that we can understand the truth that is being seen and lived out in David's life, this historical event, that we can apply it to our own lives. We know that sin makes things complicated and that we try to think of these different situations and it just seems to get more entangled. Lord, just help us to understand the principles and discern what is going on and and, and, and set aside all of the the confusion and see the basic things that we need to understand here. Lord, fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of delivering your word in a clear way, in a way that's easily understood, in a way that we can apply to our own lives. I need your help even today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What a complicated story that we have here. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things going on. So what we have now is that Absalom is in his grandfather's place. Remember, David's uh, had married a non-Hebrew person and that was Absalom's mother. So when Absalom got in trouble, he went to grandpa's house. He's in a different king, in a different area, with the idea that he was hoping that David would not ask for him to come to kill him if he was in a different kingdom. So Absalom's hiding out and he's hiding there for quite a while. We could see in the previous chapter that after David had mourned for Amnon, Amnon had died, that David had started to miss his son. Now we start off with the idea that David's already in the wrong. He did not punish Amnon and he did not punish Absalom. He's let nothing go by. Nothing has changed. There is nothing going on. David is kind of hoping that time would heal all wounds. But let me tell you that time does not fix sin. You may have a child that is wrong with God. You're not going to outweigh them out. And just hope that one day they wake up and go. "Woohoo! I'm right with God. It does not work that way. No matter how hard you wish. No matter how hard you hope, no matter how, how hard you try, people do not get right on their own. God does something to precipitate, to work with them. And if a parent refuses to chastise their child, they're opening up that child for more rebellion against the Lord. That is the simple fact. So David is already in the wrong twice. He has not punished Amnon And he has not punished Absalom. He is now getting to the place where time has made it. Where his heart is aching for his child. I want my child back. I want him back. But the child cannot come back. Unless he is repentant. Unless he is right. And Absalom has no desire to get right with God. That's the situation now as it's becoming more complicated. Now it is further complicated. Because as it always happens. Whenever there's a rift in a family. Everyone else gets involved. And everyone else has an opinion. And everyone else is going to tell you how to fix it. And everyone else is going to say, this is what you need to do. Insert Joab here. You know this incident had nothing to do with Joab. This is an incident between David and Absalom. All of a sudden we see Joab. If you don't remember who Joab is, Joab is the general of all of (coughs) David's forces. But he is a murderer himself. He is not right with God. So you're not talking about the preacher coming. In fact, may I also put an asterisk as we start this off? You don't see a single preacher or biblical counselor in the midst of this. You have people who are not right with God interfering and trying to make a complicated situation worse by adding more sin. And so, let's dive in and understand this. The first thing I'd like to show you here is why Joab would bring back Absalom. Why would Joab bring back Absalom? That's a good question. Why is Joab sticking his nose in the business in the first place? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter number 14, verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zorah, perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. What we see here is that... <laughs> There are a couple different reasons why Joab would bring get involved, why Joab would be here. Now, again, David's already wrong. If you notice there's a phrase that was said of Eli that Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. When a child when a parent fails to discipline or chastise a child, He's worshiping his child more than he worships God. God has given very clear orders, very clear things about properly disciplined. Now, there's proper discipline. There are some people who discipline wrong. That's not what we're speaking about here. But proper discipline. If you fail to properly discipline your children, the Bible says you love them, you honor them, you worship them. They're now an idol more than God. You can only serve one master. You either obey God or you disobey God. You say you're making it too simple. The Bible is simple. We make things complicated. So why would Joab stick his nose in this business anyways? Well, there's a couple of valid, legitimate reasons. Now, again, he's only responding to a situation that's already complicated. David is in the wrong Absalom is in the wrong. So let's take someone who's not right with God and mix them in and see how it works out. What what is a couple reasons why Joab would interfere? Why Joab wants to bring Absalom home? Well, first of all, Absalom is technically the next in line for the throne. Amnon was in line, but he's dead. So Absalom's next in line. And right now, (coughs) because Absalom's next on the throne, if Joab restores him back... Guess who owes him a favor? The next king. It's a political maneuver. Yes. Hey, the king, you remember when I brought you back? Yeah, keep me in charge. Well, that's a very valid reason in Joab's mind. What's a second reason why Joab would bring him back? Well, David, (laughs) because he was king, David could not bring back Absalom on his own because the king can only do things that are right. He had to have right judgment. And so he could not bring Absalom back on his own because Absalom refused to repent. He refused to get right. Judgment had to go. The king could not just forgive Absalom. So Joab could act as an intermediary. He could look at David and say, David wants to have Absalom back, but... David could not bring Absalom back because Absalom sinned, so let me go interfere, let me go in between them, let me mediate, and bring Absalom back to David because David cannot reach out. So he does that on David's behalf. Well, that's sort of a valid reason. What's another reason? Well, for the good of the kingdom. If David died with the crown prince in a different area and exile, then what would happen is that there would be a civil war. Some people uh, supporting Absalom, some people supporting a different uh, kingdom. And then what would happen is another civil war. And having a civil war right after David's civil war, remember they had Israel, uh, Saul's family, and David in Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, Judea, uh, having a fight. Israel did not need a second civil war immediately afterwards for the next king. And so Absalom's doing it again for political reasons. Let's bring Absalom back. A fourth reason, and probably more true to Joab's character, is that Joab is a murderer. And if the king was a murderer himself, then the king would probably not punish Joab for his past murders and his future murderers. Joab's not done murdering. He's got a couple more to go under his belt. But (laughs) hey, if this guy's guilty of the same thing I am, I'm covered. He's not going to punish me for something he didn't get punished for himself. And so those are some four practical reasons. Let's go back to the text. The next thing I want to show you here is the wise woman's act. The wise woman's act. Notice with me in verse number two. 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse two. And Joab sent to Toica and fetched there a wise woman. Notice that word wise woman. Let's define our term here. The idea of wise here is not meaning that she's right with God because she's used as a pawn. The idea of wise is that it's carrying the idea that she could think on her feet. You know there are some people who are pretty witty. That no matter what the situation is they could adjust to it. Well, he's hiring a professional actor. He's hiring someone who could be able to read the script and no matter what David says, to continue with the script instead of letting everything fall apart. And so he's hiring someone who's able to go with the flow. He says, this is going to be important. So he hires this woman. And if you don't mind, I'll just tell you the story for now. All right, so he sends this woman and Joab writes the script. We'll see that if you don't mind in verse number three. And came to the king and speak on this matter unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. So Joab wrote the script. Again, may I underscore that Joab is not right with God. And so he is not a preacher. She's not a preacher. They're not delivering a message from God. They are delivering message of advice from their own wisdom, their own way of doing things. And remember, the more that men gets involved, the more complicated things are going to be. So he sends this woman, and she's to put on attire of someone who's been mourning for a while. And he knows David has a soft spot. And so if David sees a woman dressed in mourning clothes, weeping on the side of the road, David's going to stop. And he's going to talk to her. So David stops and sees the woman and says, what's the matter? And she throws this big uh, teary-eyed story. She goes, I, I'm a widow woman. My husband's been long dead, and I had two sons. And these two sons, they were out fighting a field and there was no one to stop them. There was no one to separate them. They were out fighting by themselves. In the midst of this, my one son killed his brother. Now that one son's dead. Now would you know, all the family is getting involved and they say, we need to punish the murderer, punish the murderer. But David... If they kill him, then I'll have no kids left. If they kill him, I'll have no one to put an inheritance with. And so, if you're looking at it from the widow woman's story, we understand, wouldn't you feel sympathy? This is a woman who's about ready to lose both of her children. That may sound good and all, but it is bypassing the fact that sin has consequences. According to the law... The, the child committed murder, and because now we're talking about children, we're expecting 20, 30 year old kids. Because the person committed murder, they are deserving of death. You say that's pretty harsh. I know, but you understand they're whitewashing this whole thing. They're trying to say, forgive the murderer, pretend the murderer didn't happen. Please don't take my son. And so she's saying the rest of the family, everyone's getting involved. And they're saying the murderer needs to be put to death. But she is trying to put away, like any good defense attorney, instead of painting the picture of the character that he's a murderer. This is a son. Look at the mama how sad she's going to be if you punish this crime. And so they're trying to deflect away from the idea that sin was committed And trying to put it personal. You understand, if we get emotions involved, then we cloud the situation. Things get involved. But it was a clear-cut case. Absalom deserved punishment. He deserved punishment. Now, there's an underlying thing that we see all throughout here. That things could have been fixed if one thing happened. Absalom got right if he would have repented, if he would have got right. That's all that was needed, but Absalom refused to get right. And because he refused to get right, everyone's getting involved, and they're trying to convince David through this actress that... Absalom needed to come back. So she goes with the story and and she tells this tale. Oh, my son, please don't let them kill my son. I love him. If he dies, then I'm not going to have any children left. I don't have a husband left. Oh, please, David, don't let them do this. Now, David says a natural thing. Let me think on this and I'll get back to you, which is a right thing to say. Let me go investigate this. Let me get some things. But she pressed him on the matter. Oh David, please let the iniquity be on me and my family. But please, what's going to happen if they come for him? If, what happens if the family comes and bothers me? He says, quite simply, I need to think on this. But if anybody bothers you, bring that person to me and I'll tell them, leave this lady alone. But, but David, what happens if they come and they want to put judgment upon my son and they try to, to fulfill the law and kill him? What do we do, David? Please don't let him do it. Finally, after she pressures him. By the way, if things were above board, you don't need this pressure. But she's pressuring him to do something that's not right because of emotion's sake. And so she puts on the pressure. Finally, David says, fine, fine, fine. Here, my sentence under the king, that son has a pardon. He doesn't die. And so she presses again. Well, please, one last thing, David. You're guilty of this. You had one son that was killed, and now you have the other son that's in exile. Why are you going to kill that son? Why are you going to kill that son? And so she flipped the script on him and she's putting him in there. Why do you want to kill David or kill Absalom? Now, we understand that Absalom's under the sentence of death, David hasn't done anything. But it's also one of the reasons why Absalom hasn't coming back because he's afraid David will kill him and fulfilling the law, fulfilling what needs to be done. And so she puts the pressure on David, bring back Absalom. David finally discerns what's going on and says, hey, Joab put you up to this, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't lie to you. Oh, you're so wise and you're so amazing. Hey, hey, and you're like an angel of God in your spirit. And she fl- flatters him quite a bit. Oh, yeah, it was Joab. He's the one that did it. And so, what we see here is that sure enough, indeed, Joab is the one behind this. So, <laughs> David sends for Joab. Joab goes to the king and says, Yes, sir. And he says, Bring Absalom back. And Joab says, See, I knew I could tell that I'm favored in your sight. And he him up. Again, what they're doing, it's not a preacher, it's not the word of God. They may be using flowery languages, they may see that God is with you, but they're not speaking on God's behalf and they're not speaking from the Bible. There are people getting involved and trying to convince David not to perform judgment that is rightfully done. Now, again, the whole thing and the whole would have been solved if Absalom would have repented and got right. That would have solved everything. So we have two factors that are working against each other. David is refusing to punish. Absalom refuses to get right. Because of this, we have a stalemate for a while. And after the stalemate, everyone else is getting involved. As they get involved, then finally Joab sends for Absalom. However, there is a little bit of a caveat here. We see the, uh, the idea that a w- <coughs> about the wise woman's act But then we come to Absalom returns home, but not to fellowship. Absalom returns home, but not to fellowship. So verse number 21. But when the king heard all these things, he was very wroth. Uh, Wrong chapter, sorry. In chapter 14, verse 21. And the king said to Joab, Behold, now I've done this thing. Go, therefore, and bring young man Absalom again. And Joab fell on his face and bowed himself, and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knowest that I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, O King, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. Now here's the caveat. David is still the king, and David must fulfill righteousness. He cannot allow Absalom to be restored to fellowship... Until Absalom gets right. That's the whole thing holding this up. Absalom refused to get right. So David is saying, fine, let him come back, but he can't be back in fellowship. I can't associate with him as long as he's guilty, as long as he's not getting right. If I see him, I'm supposed to carry out the law. I'm supposed to put him to death. And so he says he could be restored, but he can't be in fellowship. He can't do it. He can't do it. And so what occurs is Absalom returns home. And as he returns home, you could see the rebellion on this young man. The rebellion. What a kind of rebellion are we talking about? Notice if you don't mind in verse 25. But in all Israel, there was none to, uh, so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. Now, here's a man that's not right with God. He's guilty of murder, but oh, everyone talks about how great he is. Oh, Absalom, you're not deserving of this. Oh, you don't deserve that punishment. Oh, Absalom, you're so great. Oh, you know what? Whatever you did before, it's fine. You are so great. And everyone praised him. Notice as they describe it some more. He said, In all Israel there was none to be such praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. So here's a picture. Here's a guy that doesn't have a mark, a mole, a scar, pure skin, no zits or pimples have ever touched his face. I mean, it says from the sole of his feet. I don't know about you. I hate feet. They're ugly. They're nasty, but he's got pretty feet. Oh, look at those feet. Look at, I mean, he, he's your picture of a model in Israel, he is just, people look at him and the girls swoon. The men are jealous. They all look at him. Oh, look, there's no way you could ever do anything wrong. Look at how great you are. Oh, Absalom, you're so wonderful. He hears this all the time. By the way, that's not helping him get right. All it's doing is feeding his pride. It's justifying that what he did was right. Nothing's happening to him. It's working on the rebellion. It goes on. Verse 26, and when he pulled his head, now this carries the idea, he has so much hair. Now notice how egotistical this is. He pulls his hair. So basically he takes all of his hair and he balls it up. He takes like a little stick, if you don't mind, and rolls it up. Then he weighs it. Can you imagine some guy getting near a scale and getting his hair on it and they they would weigh it out? I mean, he's so egotistical. He has this big, long, flowing mane of hair. I mean, it's like male Rapunzel. That's how he could get over the fence. He just put his hair down and people climb up. I mean, he's got all this hair. It's thick. I mean, it's like Uh, Hebrew Fabio, the wind's blowing whenever he walks. I mean, there'd be no wind in the area, but his hair's blowing back. Everyone's looking at him. The girls are swooning. And it's just nothing but rebellion. I mean, they would have this big party every year where he'd invite his friends and family, those that would still talk to him. And they would pull his hair. And they would kind of like, how much is it going to weigh this time? Oh, look at how much hair it has. It tips the scales. Notice how many shekels it is. 200 shekels after the king's weight. By the way, if you're not familiar with those weights, let me just tell you, that's a lot of hair. I mean, it's dragging down on the earth behind him. He has to kind of pull it up. This is a guy, it's full of hair, no blemishes. All over, everyone's looking at him and praising him. You can just see the paparazzi always following with cameras wherever he goes. He's just so great and he's so mighty. He's never done anything wrong. Nothing but pride. And it is doing nothing to get him right with his sin. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Let's say that you have a teenager who's not right with their parents and the the teenagers happen to have a job and they go to their job and they just complain oh my dad's not being fair to me he won't let me go out I'm not allowed to borrow the car on the weekends and they give me a bedtime can you believe that I am 14 and a half years old and I have a bedtime oh how dare they treat you this way And everyone starts to take the child's side. By the way, it's always a poor judge who only listens to one side of the matter and makes a judgment. And so people do this, by the way. And they'll start telling the teenager how they don't have to stand for it. and They don't need to listen to the parents. And instead of the kid getting right, it's feeding the rebellion. And everyone gets involved. And now you have a rift that is getting worse and worse and worse. And if it's not taken care of, it's going to turn into a disaster. And so Absalom is home, but he's not in fellowship. He's not repenting of his deeds, but everyone's talking about how great he is, how mighty he is, how wonderful he is. And then it talks about his children. Finally, it comes to a breaking point. Two years Absalom is home and two years he's not been allowed to see the king. He can't see the king. The king cannot allow someone who is a sinner who is under the sentence of death into his presence. He cannot allow it to happen. He cannot restore someone who's not right with God, not right with the law, not right with the situation, not repentive. But because David hasn't done anything in the first place, because Absalom won't refuse to get right, everyone's getting involved, it now becomes more cloudy. We see this last thing here. Absalom forces his way to the king. Absalom forces his way to the king. Notice what occurs, verse number 28. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have him sent for the king. Now, why would Absalom sin for Joab? Because he's the weak link. Because Joab has already been the one that's been supporting Absalom. By this time, Joab realized, you know what? Absalom's not right, and he's realized, hey, I don't need to have anything to do with him. He's going to get me in trouble. But Absalom goes back and starts pestering Joab because Joab's the wheat link. He sends for him once. Joab doesn't come back. Sends for him twice. Finally, Absalom, just to prove how great he is and how right with God he is, orders his men to go burn Joab's field. I mean, that's because what all the kids who are right with God and good Sunday school kids do, right? So Absalom burns down Joab's field. Now, of course, Joab has to answer this. He goes up to Absalom. What are you doing? He says, let me go see the king. I can't. Let me go see the king. Well, Joab has no other choice but to go up to the king. And so Joab facilitates and says, king, Absalom really wants to be in your presence. He really wants to see you again. And the problem was, is Absalom was not right at all. Absalom forces himself by the pressure of so many things to get back into fellowship when he is not right and all this is going to do is going to cause a disaster. You know the same thing's true (coughs) in all kinds of situations. You take someone in church discipline who is supposed to be repenting of their actions but because things were not done right is not repenting of their actions and everyone starts saying you know so and so really needs to come back. I know, I would like to, but there won't get right. We've tried to reach out to them. We've tried to work with them. But you know what? They really, we've really missed them. They need to come back. And so they push and they force. And tell the next thing you know, you got someone who's now a member of the church who is not right with God, who is rebellious and not repentive, And that's going to cause problems for the church later on, guaranteed. You take a family who has a teenager who is full rebellion... But everyone intervenes. Oh, no, no, you got to take them back. I can't. They're not right. They stole money from me. They refused to get right. I can't allow them to come back in that state. If they repent, I'll be glad to take them back. Any parent would say, if they repent, I'll be glad to take them back. That's just normal parenting. Yes, if they say that they're sorry, if they, if they mean it, if they change, I'll glad to, I want them to restore. I want that. But until they do, I can't. But so much pressure comes in. You need to put them back, let them back in, whatever else. And then the child comes back in, the rebellion, and the rebellion only gets worse because they got their way and they start to boss mom and dad around. They start to try to throw their way, they throw fits, they throw things on fire, everything, until that home is now wrecked and worse off than what it was in the first place. You see how bad sin complicates things? Sin is awful. And now it starts off with two major sins. Absalom refused to get right and David refusing to chastise his children. And it led to disaster. You understand this is so key. This is so important. I remember several years ago, we had a mother who came up and said, my eight-year-old child is hitting me. We're sitting in public in a bus stop and the child's beating me. And I just don't want to do. Be the parent but then my child won't like me no more. And I don't want to get to the place where my child won't like me. Be the parent. I just don't know if I can. So the child becomes 14, 15 years old. And you can imagine how that household went because they don't get better on their own. They just don't wake up one day and go, "Woohoo! I'm right, woo It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I really wish it did. But the parent's job is to be the parent not be their friend. It's good if we have a good fellowship, but they have to be the parent. You're saying, well, this this is heavy stuff for a Sunday morning. Aren't we supposed to have something encouraging? Let me tell you something about God. A lot of people believe that God should forgive indiscriminately. Meaning that it doesn't matter what you've done, God should just forgive you. And by the way, God is willing to forgive you. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what you've done, but you have to have an idea of repentance. What do we mean by repentance? You recognize that you are a sinner. And because of your sin, you deserve punishment. You deserve hell. You understand, a person cannot be saved until they first see themselves as a sinner. If they don't see themselves as a sinner, there's nothing for them to be saved from. I'll talk to people and say, hey, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? Yes. How do you know? Because I'm a good person. You know, most people believe that there's a weight system. They believe that if their good works somehow outweigh their bad, they'll be able to slide right into heaven. But let me tell you, the Bible does not say that at all. The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To be in God's presence, you must be perfect. But every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. For example, let's say that we had a dartboard on the back. And let's say that the rules were in order to get to heaven, you had to hit the bullseye each and every time. And so we line up a couple person, people. We take uh, someone and they hit the dartboard and they aim and they miss the bullseye by about that much. We take someone else and they throw the dart to the dartboard. and They hit the outside edge. Then I come to the dartboard and I hit the wall over here. Now, according to the rules, who's going to heaven? Nobody. You understand? It doesn't matter if you missed it by this much, or if you missed it by this much, you missed it. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are all sinners. And sometimes it takes some time to convince them. I remember having a lady in the office once. And uh, she was expected. And she had originally come to the office to say, "Will will I marry her and her future husband? And so I said, before I do that, there's a couple questions I need to ask. First of all, I like to know for sure that people are going to heaven. May I ask you that? Are you hundred percent sure if you die, today you go to heaven? Well, I don't know. Well, can I show you from the Bible how you could know? Sure. Well, the Bible says that heaven's a perfect place. And because heaven's a perfect place, God can allow anything that's not perfect to go to that perfect place. Does that make sense? Sure. Well, the Bible says in the <laughs> that he gives us the Ten Commandments. God is, gives us those Ten Commandments to show us our standard of living. For the Bible, for example, the Bible says uh, that thou shall not bear false witness. I say it this way, that the Bible says don't, to tell, uh, don't tell lies. I said, have you ever told a lie before? She goes, I don't remember ever telling a lie. Okay, interesting. Well, I said, well, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that thou (laughs) to honor thy father and mother. We would say it this way to obey your folks. Have you ever disobeyed your folks? She goes, well, you have to understand that my mom and I were never close. And so I never had the opportunity to disobey my mom. Okay. You see what's happening? She's not recognizing she's a sinner. So I said, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The word. Adultery here is carrying the idea of not to have sex outside of marriage. Have you ever committed that sin? She looks down at her stomach and says, yeah, I guess I'm guilty of that one. <laughs> I haven't had to pull that one in a long time. But I tr- what I was trying to do is trying to explain she's a sinner. Before anyone could be forgiven, they have to recognize that they're a sinner. And until they realize they're a sinner, there's nothing to save them from. But there's one more thing. Not only do they have to recognize they're a sinner, they have to realize that because of their sin, they owe God a punishment, that there is a standard. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The word wage is what we would call a reward or a payment. For example, when we go to work, because we worked, we earn a wage or a payment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin, sin is anything we've done against God, for the wages of sin is death. Because we told one lie, the wages of sin is death. Because we disobeyed our folks once, the wages of sin is death. The Bible goes on to describe that death in more specific way, that it is hell. Separation from God in an eternal lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Oftentimes when I talk to people about the Lord, I'll ask them, "Uh, do you believe that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe... According to the Bible, that people go to hell. Yes. Do you believe that you deserve to go to hell? No. I said, why not? Because I'm a good person. Well, let's go back. Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you believe that, according to the Bible, that the Bible is true? That for the wages of sin is death. Yes. Do you believe you deserve to go to hell? No. And 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 so I have to take some time to explain that. But you understand, until someone realizes they deserve hell, there's nothing to save them from. The idea that the word save means to deliver. God is delivering us from the punishment we owed him, which is hell. And until someone thinks that they're a sinner, until someone realizes that because of their sin that they deserve hell, and they must also believe that Jesus paid their way. You see, some people think that they could work their way out of hell. They believe that they could do something to get to to exchange this. But you understand, for someone to be saved, they have to realize that Jesus is the only answer. There is no other way. You could try to live as good of a life for the rest of your life, but it will never cover the price that you owe God for one sin. Some people will say, well, I own a Bible. Praise the Lord. That doesn't make you go to heaven. Some people say, well, I'm a member of a Baptist church. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Some people say, I said a prayer. A prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you. When you say a prayer, all you're doing is giving God permission for for that payment. So they have to realize that Jesus is the only answer. But there's one last thing. They must personally ask Jesus to be their savior they must come to the place where they recognize they are a sinner because of their sin they owe God a price but Jesus is their only answer and then they willingly receive that gift that God gave to them that's what must happen in order for someone to be forgiven that's the idea of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior what was the problem was is that Absalom would not repent If he went down to his father, went down on his knees and said, Dad, I messed up. I shouldn't have killed Absalom. Dad, could you give me mercy? Could you show me? David would have been glad to show mercy. It's what he wanted to do was show him mercy. But Absalom refused to get right. Refused to get right. That was the whole problem. And what you're going to see, remember, the book of 2 Samuel is a book of consequences. Because David allowed Absalom to be restored into fellowship without him being repentive, he has allowed someone that's full of rebellion into the kingdom. And this is going to have dire consequences that are going to cost many people their lives. It's a horrible thing. What we're seeing here is a complicated... Isn't it, this is a crazy story. Everyone getting involved. All because David refused to discipline his children. He honored his sons more than he honored God. And you had a teenager, a 20-year-old, a young man who refused to leave his rebellion and refused to get right. And then everyone else jumping in the way, making a... Com- complicated situation even worse by throwing their two cents and putting pressure on people not to make biblical decisions, but emotional decisions. It made things worse. But let me tell you what the good news is. No matter what state you found yourself in, there is a way back to God. Oh, God's willing to show you plenteous mercy. No matter what you have done, he's willing to take you back if you just come to him. Let me ask you that question, dear friend. Are you 100% sure if something was to happen to you? Are you 100% sure you would be going to heaven? Do you know you can know for sure from the Bible? And it would be our great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt. Dear friend, maybe you say that I've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you know you're not currently right with God. Let me tell you what the answer is to repent. The Bible says in 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a way back to God just to say, I messed up. I am wrong. God, will you forgive me? And God will forgive you every time. Now, this isn't a, a, get, a uh, get out of jail free card. It's not a scapegoat. It's not the idea that if you say some words to God, it's the idea, do you mean it? Are you sorry that you messed that up? Do you recognize that you did wrong? If that's true, God's willing to take you back. There's a brokenness that comes with repenting. This is a complicated situation because sin's involved. and Every time sin's involved, there's a, uh, things get more complicated. You might even think in your own mind, people that you know, maybe people within your own family or people that you know over here, that are in situations just like this as i say these things as i went through this you could see their their faces in your mind let me tell you that there's a simple answer every time repent and get right with god and just do what god has asked he makes things simple Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord if there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you we encourage you look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com once again that's riverviewbc.com or if you would prefer to call us you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308 once again that number is 920-530-6308 there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you please let us know we would love to make ourselves available thank you